0: Dr. Jody Crane, Chief Medical Officer at Team Health, spoke with Dr. Jose Fernandez Duarte about how the system's hospital medicine teams in Southeast Florida have continued to manage the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic, even in the midst of skyrocketing case numbers. You will hear more about what they have learned as patients significantly increased from the original wave and how they have navigated being at the current global epicenter. Hi, this is Jody Crane, Chief Medical Officer for Team Health, and I'm here with Jose Fernandez Duarte, System Medical Director for the Memorials
1: down in Southeast Florida. So, thanks for joining us today, Jose. Uh, thank you, Jody, for the opportunity. I'm uh, excited to you know share my experiences at the Memorial Healthcare System and uh, how, in partnership with. Uh, the hospital have been able to uh, very successfully manage the challenges of this epidemic.
0: So thanks, Jose. And why don't you start off just by telling us the the environment that you're working on. Um, you know, give us an overview
1: of the of the memorials. Absolutely. So uh, uh, the memorial health care system, it's uh, probably the biggest uh, hospital system in Broward County, uh, composed of five hospitals and a tertiary care center, uh memorial regional hospital. um you know, right now we, as you can imagine, been hit significantly by uh, this pandemic. As you're aware, at the Tri-County area of Florida, uh, Palm Beach, Broward, and the Miami-Dade have been the epicenter of, of uh, this current epidemic here uh, with COVID-19. Due to the size and the experience uh, of the executives and the physicians, we have been able to, to weather this storm uh, pretty well.
0: So, so that's good to hear, and, and again, you guys have been particularly hard hit, um, essentially globally, uh, really uh, Southeast Florida really really, um, with skyrocketing cases. So uh, tell me about volumes, how they've changed uh, from pre-COVID and maybe even as they related to, to the Wave 1 that Florida went through, and how is that impacting your system in terms of uh, emergency department demand Inpatient demand and then um, ICU
1: resource and other demand. Absolutely. So I can tell you, uh, the, the quote-unquote uh, first wave has been vastly different so the second wave. You know, the first wave um, as a system, we took all the precautions. We were uh, able to stop elective surgeries. We free all our beds, um, and we were expecting huge volumes of patients. You know, uh, as an example, between the uh, first wave and the second wave, on the first wave we have around uh, 190 uh, COVID patients admitted at any time system-wide, but this second wave, just the volumes have been staggering. Right now we're uh, almost at the 650 patient mark. So during the first wave, because we basically stopped relative surgery, we created all this virtual capacity for volume that we expected to come, uh, Unfortunately, it didn't come on the way that we were expecting it. It wasn't really uh, a logarithmic curve during the first wave. It was more like a steady state, and it reached a peak very, very slowly. But we always had uh, plenty of space. Uh, We didn't have to go outside or usual ICU beds, and we had plenty of staffing uh, to handle uh, the the first wave. Uh, In addition, also, our ED volumes were pretty low uh, during the first wave, essentially because I do believe that uh, the virus was still new to the public and people were afraid to come to the emergency room, which uh, was accompanied by a different set of challenges after the first wave was quote-unquote uh, control, where people actually delayed care. Uh, and this second wave it has been vastly different. Uh,
0: so, Jose, of- um, let me just interrupt you for a second. So... So, did I hear you correct? So, in wave one, you had about 190 COVID patients, and wave two was up over 600?
1: Yes. Right now, we're uh, actually at 650 COVID patients admitted. Uh, wow. Yeah. So it
0: was, it's really interesting, because what you described is what a lot of places across um, the United States experienced, which was they kind of prepared. They, uh, I remember you and I talking very early on in this, and um, us talking about expanding ICU and um, kind of looking into all of these contingencies, and it was almost like a dress rehearsal, right? For uh, for for what we did not even know was coming, which you're living through right now. It's really, really fascinating to hear your experience
1: down there. Absolutely, uh, Jody, and I have. I think dress rehearsal is is the right term. I think we were just getting ready on the first wave for what ended up crystallizing in the second wave. We expected to be here on the first wave. So I think in a way, that was a good opportunity for for the hospital to get prepared to what was to come. Same for our staff. Um, We got our supply chains ready. We got our PPE ready. Our staff kind of got a good amount of training on how to doff and don their PPE, how to take care of these COVID patients, uh, the nuances. So by the time the second wave hit, we already have, uh, we can say veterans of treating COVID patients, right? Because 190 patients system-wide is not a little, you know, it's uh, much more than most hospitals in the country have had at any given day. So, uh, What we had is a group of of physicians that were already veterans at treating COVID patients, and that has gone a long way to manage uh, the second wave. Now, I have to tell you, you know, over 600 patients admitted in a system, it's just an staggering amount of volume. Um, At some point, over 50% of the total volume of the hospital has been COVID. So that tells you uh, the acuity and the severity Uh, of this epidemic, but both the hospitals and our physicians, both ED and hospital medicine and and the physicians at the hospital have done an excellent job in accommodating to to this new way of living. Uh, For example, PAs that used to do uh, outpatient visits, now they're working in the hospital with us. They're helping in testing centers. They're helping in the emergency department. And uh, same uh, physicians, now are being uh, more aggressive and being deployed in, in different areas, right? Hospital hospitals, for example, now they're helping even more in a IMCU care type of patients by using BiPAP, using uh, high-flow nasal cannula. So people have been very flexible. Uh, in addition, I think the first week was very useful to get our doctors trained on how to treat these patients vis-a-vis how to use plasma, uh, recovered plasma, how to use remdesivir, Uh, And now that is something that at the system level has uh, fallen on the shoulders of the hospitalists, you know, to start prescribing their remdesivir, to start prescribing the recover plasma. And uh, we, with the system, created the processes on how to deliver this care to our patients correctly. But I have to tell you that in my experience of dealing with disasters, and, you know, I live in Florida where I have to deal with hurricanes very often, I've never seen anything like that. Both of the in the size and the scope of the problem, but also at the same time, on how the hospital and their physicians have come together to rise to the occasion.
0: So Jose, tell me about uh, the impact on inpatient capacity, ICU capacity, ventilator capacity, and sort of uh, what did you do differently in terms of accommodating that demand? And I and I heard that that. You know, our hospitalist service there is pretty much managing all of the COVID patients. So how did that whole thing evolve?
1: Yes, absolutely. So uh, we do have, uh, in two out of the five hospitals, we do manage the majority of the COVID patients, specifically at Pembroke that that basically has become one of our COVID hospitals. We work from having one unit to almost five units um, uh, full of COVID patients Uh, in Memorial Hospital Pembroke, these units are managed exclusively by Team Health, uh, which has helped the hospital have a very smooth flow and uh, a very dedicated team of doctors that know how to deal with COVID intricacies because that's basically all we do uh, day in and day out. And the, the way we built the program was uh, with 24 hour uh, overview of these uh, 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 patients, we have, been, uh, we have built swing shifts. Uh, in addition to our nocturnal shifts because these patients can decompensate very quickly. And that has resulted, uh, especially at the hospital where we have uh, 100% of the patients with COVID, in standardized care, which we all know uh, that's the best we can do uh, for our patients. So uh, specifically in Pembroke, uh, we also have developed uh, a telemedicine workflow, whereas if we have to uh, repeat visits, we have a PPE sparing methodology where there is iPads in all of the patient' room in the COVID unit, where the physician can communicate via a screen outside the unit and communicate directly with the patient if there's any questions or, or the family wants to have a teleconference, and that way we don't have to we uh, wouldn't have to use uh, extra PPE and get just uh, stop to go into the unit. So that has been a, a, a great win a great win overall.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So each room has an iPad inside and an iPad outside, and you just walk from room to room, or does the provider
1: carry the iPad around? Each room has an iPad inside the room, and all the iPads are connected to a monitor. So basically, if a physician wants to talk to the patient in room one, uh, there is a monitor in the team health office, and we just go to the monitor, and then we can select iPad one and talk to the patient. So each uh, patient in the COVID unit has an iPad inside the room, and that has been a great win uh, that the Memorial Healthcare System has been able to deliver to its patients, and we have been able to engage our doctors to deliver uh, to deliver care in, in this way, uh, especially for repeat visits. We always do our first visit uh, the regular way. We go examine our patients, we don't don't and offer equipment. Or if there is a uh, other questions or the patient wants to reach out to us or want to discuss a result, we use this uh, PPE-sparing methodology.
0: That is unbelievable, like from a patient experience perspective, but also protecting clinicians, protecting patients, and also conserving PPE.
1: What, what a great thing to be able to, to do. And uh, Jody, I think, uh, let me also talk a little bit about the supply chain because I think you asked, you know, Memorial has been outstanding. At procuring PPE for their physicians, their nurses, and their ancillary staff. Uh, they have meetings uh, every single day uh, called the steering committee meetings. In addition, we have uh, meetings at least three times a week with the senior executives and they have been outstanding at procuring the necessary PPE to their physicians uh, and to their ancillary staff and nurses. In addition, they have worked extremely closely with other suppliers to make sure that they uh, keep receiving uh, extra ventilators when they need them, uh, BiPAP machines, and the high-flow machines. Since, As you are aware, you know from the difference from the first wave to the second wave, now we really uh, need to dig deep and start getting more uh, resources. Our Memorial continues to be very well-resourced, but that is only because they thought ahead and they have worked in their supply chain. Uh, to make sure we have what we need. And it goes to even things like oxygen. You know, oxygen supply has uh, gone to an stratospheric numbers. So, you know, instead of getting a certain amount of shipments, we have to get even more shipments, uh, sometimes several times a week. So that has also required an adjustment of the supply chain, and it tells you about the flexibility and the foresight of a system of Memorial.
0: Wow, that's impressive. So, as long as we're on PPE, um, how about testing? Like, what types of tests are you using? What a, What do the turnarounds look like there? And have you had sufficient testing to to test everybody you need to test?
1: Absolutely. Again, you know, I cannot say enough on how Memorial had the the foresight of getting ready with testing. I knew of very few sites. Uh, in the state of Florida that since the beginning of the pandemic, and we're talking April, they were able to deploy a blanket testing strategy, meaning every single patient that walks through the AD uh, received a rapid test and we get results within hours. Uh, that has been continued up uh, to this day where, again, patients that walk through the emergency room get tested, all of them. Uh, that has helped in several ways. It has helped with moving patients within the hospital, sparing PPE and making sure that we only use PPE with patients that we know they're sick, diminishes, uh, diminishes the amount of uh, uh, patients under investigation and uh, helps us on delivering our investivir and plasma to the patients that are sick and we know their diagnosis way ahead of time. Uh, we also have our regular testing, uh, which is the testing that uh, takes around uh, between uh, 24 to 48 hours right now, which again is much more quicker when you have uh, other hospitals in uh, other states that, you know, you're talking about uh, four to even seven days turnaround times. Our hours is, you know, between 24 to 48 hours, even with these numbers. Uh, if you're in the hospital, it's basically almost forty uh, 24 hours. And uh, within that amount of time, we're able to execute, we get our results, and we're able to deliver care to our patients. But, you know, having the ability to test every single patient that works today. the that walks through that emergency department. It's uh, it's incredible.
0: So, so along those same lines uh, of the supply chain. So, you know, we're hearing nationally about shortages in remdesivir um, and kind of protocols to administer convalescent plasma. And I know you and I have batted back and forth a couple of emails about um, remdesivir shortages. So, tell me, tell, tell me about your experience. With regards to medication and supply uh, chain issues related to medications, and then and then, uh, do you have specific protocols to to uh, determine that a patient needs uh, any any sort of treatment? Um, is ID involved, or are you just kind of um, the hospitalist program really just uh,
1: overseeing and doing it all? Absolutely. So, uh, because Nora has always been prepared, we always had. Uh, remdesivir to provide to our patients, the same as plasma. Uh, even when the supply chain remains strained, uh, Memorial has always found new ways uh, to supply itself uh, from this uh, very necessary drug, either uh, from the state or from the federal government. Uh, so we have always had the remdesivir to uh, being able to provide the care to our patients. The same with plasma, Memorial has uh, been um, very proactive on making sure that we have an adequate supply. Um, you know, we do have criteria. basically patients that, that end up uh, requiring oxygen will qualify uh, for remdesivir um, and also uh, plasma. And, of course, if you're in the hospital, you know, most of our patients will end up uh, require uh, requiring remdesivir. Uh, if you're in the hospital for COVID uh, in particular, you know, you may be uh, COVID positive and be in the hospital, for something else, but if you were in the hospital for COVID itself, you, chances are you will be requiring oxygen, and that will qualify you uh, for the utilization of remdesivir and plasma. You know, originally, when we didn't have that many cases, you know, i p will assist us uh, in the delivery of this. But, again, as we have become uh, more familiar with the drug, uh, uh, with the disease at the same time, and, you know, when you have this vast amount of of cases, and we have decided to partner with the hospital. And now we have our own hospital being able to deliver uh, the remdesivir and the plasma, which saves very, very valuable hours, and we're able to get the treatment quicker uh, to our patients.
0: That's great. I guess, um, you know, it's it's really impressive that you guys have been able to maintain all of these different supply chains throughout all the challenges that 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 we've faced. Again, we're talking, you know, multiple X you know, I think it's uh, at least 4X um, volume that you're seeing. So that's that's super impressive. I guess um, I want to turn your attention towards the the physician or the clinicians or the APCs and and your physicians in your group. How are they handling this? So we're hearing a lot nationally about COVID fatigue, um, you know, uh, provider stress, burnout. Um, you know, you guys, you know, you, you spoke about Uh, your hospitalist programs opening multiple wards and caring exclusively for, for COVID patients. It's almost like, you know, running into the burning building. So how is your team kind of coping with all of this?
1: So, you know, one of the key, uh, strategies is communication, Jody, you know, since we have started this logarithmic phase of expansion, uh, we have a council meeting, so to speak, um, Every day at 4:30 p.m., we are five medical directors. We, we where we prepare um, the challenges and we resolve the challenges of the current day and the pre and the, the day that's gonna, uh, the, the day that's coming. And we have found that every single day is a different challenge. You know, there's an issue in hospital X or a problem in hospital Y. Uh, you know, somebody uh, couldn't come to work. Uh, you know multiple logistics issues, and we're able to resolve all those issues uh, during those calls. So by being prepared, that reduce the stress in our clinicians. Part of that preparation is making sure we have the adequate staff. So because we have those meetings, uh, we have in the Southeast Group a task force uh, that's called the Redistribution Task Force. So because we have these daily meetings, we have been able to grow with the volume. And as you know, Uh, For any physician, one of the major concerns is their ability to take care of high volume of patients. So we have been able to remove that factor from our physicians because we have been able to grow with the hospital. Every time the the volume grows at each hospital, we have been able to add staffing. That way, uh, we have been able to broadcast to our doctors, listen, it doesn't matter what happened with the volumes. We have a supply of doctors that will come and help you. And We have delivered on those promises. And we have instructed our medical directors to communicate that to the front line and execute it on that. So that shows uh, uh, the front line, our front line physicians that we have the ability to cope. And I do believe that brings them a huge relief that no matter what happened, uh, team health will be there to catch them. You know, in addition, of course, during our meetings, we always discuss how all of us are doing. That includes myself. You know, we, we talk about it. You know, like, how are you doing? How are you handling it? Uh, and then, uh, of course, our doctors touch base or, or medical directors touch base with our doctors very, very often. You know, I've done skip rounds, too, uh, to talk to the frontline physicians and, uh, you know, just round on them uh, virtually and ask them, hey, listen, how are you doing? How can we help you? Uh, because these are definitely uh, stressful times. So also, you know, Team Bell has resources where we have, uh, you know, or a uh, pig team or uh, or pick team call. For physicians, you know and and do welfare checks and and all those things have come uh very very handy uh but you know especially in this long standing state of crisis you know since April basically um mental wellness is a key factor and i think uh besides the calls uh over communication is key
0: well well jose and i i i uh i know that you guys have expanded your staffing quite a bit and and I, I, I've heard on a couple of um, of our executive calls about the the um, ability that you all have yeah. in the southeast group, and I think this is a huge benefit of being with a national company like Team Health, where we can shift resources literally across the country if we need to. Um, can you talk about like how many resources you kind of pulled in from other sites in Florida, and how's that gone in terms of like orienting new people, and do they just kind
1: of? jump right in, or is there challenges related to that? Absolutely. So, again, the key was preparation. Um, I started meeting with the redistribution task force probably, I would say, a week and a half before the pandemic started on You And I remember sending an email uh, saying, hey, guys, you know, I've been tracking the statistics. I don't think we're going to have enough um, staff to cover what's to come and that was probably around i would say june june 25th uh, to, to june 20th so so the preparation was key and again because we are a big staffing company immediately all sort of senior staff got together and we start meeting twice a week which again it's a huge uh time commitment for the executive staff that's on those calls and in uh, probably less than a week, we were able to search six doctors that had clean licenses ready to be deployed. At the same time, I uh, talked to senior leadership at the hospital, and we developed a process to onboard these physicians as quickly as we needed, because we were going to need them to take care of our patients. Finally, I involved the medical director, sure so we had a process to onboard our doctors, uh, meaning they will go to the medical staff, and then after that they will receive uh, training on EPIC. Uh, they will also uh, receive all our templates for our HMPs, uh, as well as our uh, order sets and our industry summaries. So all our medical directors have been outstanding um, as in regards to onboarding their new staff. So it has been a concerted effort before uh, between the between the Southeast Group, a distribution task force, or credentialing team at Team Health, or onboarding team at Team Health, or MSO uh, at the hospital, and of course, for chief medical officer and chief quality officer at the hospital. And between all of us together and the medical directors, we have been able to deploy almost 12 to 13 doctors in three weeks. Uh, and that is just outstanding. Like I'm not aware of any other side where we have been able uh, to pull something like that. And so we have not needed to, depending on any other resource, uh, Team Health has been able to source it. Uh, In addition, uh, we haven't stopped there. We now have a a bullpen of at least six or seven extra uh, doctors that are ready to start if we need them. And then we have also another bullpen of per diem doctors that are local that, again, we need to be deployed, we're ready to deploy them too.
0: Wow, that's amazing, Jose. So twelve to thirteen and six in the bullpen you're you're from a from a human resources you're you're kind of ready to go locked and loaded. so that's that's amazing. Um, you know uh, Jose, I just want to say really appreciate you joining me today, and um, you know, thank you for your leadership down there at the memorials. Um, you know as as we spoke earlier, um, you mentioned it's been a really a team effort with your medical directors and a collaboration with the hospital, uh, and it sounds like you're well supported um, from from the hospital and the health system. And you've got a, I know you've got a real competent team of um, of FMDs and frontline docs. And just want to say thank you from from all of us, and um, and thanks to all the frontline docs who are kind of down there battling COVID. Uh, you know right in the, in the face, so to speak, down there. And um, appreciate you telling your story here. Um, can I have people reach out to you if they have any questions? I mean, lots of great information, a lot of uh, innovative things that you guys are, are doing down
1: there. Absolutely. You know, if people want to reach out to me, uh, please feel free to do so. You know, before I go, I just, uh, you know, want to give a real shout-out to the real heroes of this story, and, and those are my medical directors, you know, Shivali, Shinoda, Anna, Jessica, Salman, you know, they they are the true heroes of this story. Uh, They're the ones that are making it happen every single day. Uh, They're there in the ground uh, training their doctors, seeing our patients, uh, keeping the morale at the local level. So, you know, they are the ones that have made this success happen. Uh, The hospital, I think, is very grateful to us. I am extremely grateful to them. Uh, You know, this is this is their story and that's how I want to finish my, you know, my interview.
0: Thanks Jose. And for those of you guys listening, if, um, if you want to hear about any of the stuff we talked about, um, there's a wealth of resources, COVID-19 resources on our, uh, Zenith COVID-19 channel that covers most of the therapies, most of the, um, the operational issues that we've addressed here um, on the podcast. And, uh, this, this uh, podcast will also be on the COVID-19 channel as well. So thanks again, Jose, and thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank you, Jardy.